Uh, today's uh, sermon title is called Tell Them About the Dream. Uh, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., um, his speech that he did on the March on Washington, it was actually supposed to be kind of a, a low-key, casual speech. Um, and the reason why is because for him, he knew that the nation was pretty divided. Uh, he understood at that time that emotions were running really high. Uh, and so for him, he had kind of decided to uh, write a speech that was focused on maybe uh, action steps that they could do. He wrote a speech focused more on kind of uh, understanding what are some next steps that we could take in order to kind of make things a little bit better and, and to get our emotions in check. And, and, he, and so he wrote a check with, uh, based around an analogy of a bounced check. Now, as he was speaking, his words just weren't coming out right. He was just kind of fumbling a little bit, and, and he realized that, man, the people just weren't really getting into it. Now, the people around him, his friends, they could kind of see that too. And the, there was a person behind him named Mahalia Jackson. She was a gospel singer. And so she saw how Martin Luther King Jr. was kind of stumbling over his words a little bit. And so she says one thing to him. She says, tell them about the dream, Martin. Tell them about the dream. And so from there, King, he uh, put aside his notes. He looked up at the crowd. And he began his famous, I have a dream speech. Now, the reason why the I Have a Dream speech is so important is because it refocused a divided nation onto what was most important. It wasn't talking about some action steps that they could do. It wasn't talking about an application point that they could further cause and, and go into the future. What he did was he focused not on the emotions or the violence or anything like that, he focused on their identity as children of God and that all glory should be given to the Lord. You see, the reason I'm sharing this is because in the book of Acts, the early church, these, they first faced persecution from outside and then later we read here that they begin facing division from inside. And that division it has been growing from so many different things, from hypocrisy, from lying, from stealing. And today we see in this passage that division was starting to occur from complaining. Now, this division, it got so bad to the point where the disciples had to make a decision. And it ended up being a very important decision. Because what the disciples decided to do was that they said that, yes, the physical needs of the members were important. However, the most important thing is their spiritual need. We're going we're gonna to do our best to provide for them physically unless it gets in the way of providing for them spiritually. You see, church, this has actually been on my heart for the past few weeks. 
I think as, as I've been watching the election results unfold, as I've been watching the rising number of COVID cases, as I've been watching how disconnected our church can start to feel and how, I don't know, divided our church can feel at times too, I was just praying over our congregation and this story of the March on Washington kept coming into my mind and I just kept hearing those words, tell them about the dream. Tell them about the dream. And I believe the reason why that has been on my mind is because when things seem most divided, God is telling us and calling us to remember what is most important. That is in times of turmoil, in times of stress, when times are seemingly most disconnected, that God is saying, look, look at what is most important. Look at yourself. See what your identity is. Your identity is not first as a husband, is not first as a father, is not first as a student or a worker. Your identity is first and foremost as a child of mine. And so what I want to do today is just to simply follow through this passage and look at three things. First is the sin of complaining. Second is the decision of the disciples. And third is the result of that decision. Okay, so first is the sin of complaining. Verse 1 says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. You see, there were two main groups of Jewish Christians in the early church. There were the Hellenists and the Hebrews. You see, the Hellenists, what they, they just spoke Greek. And the Hebrews, they spoke Aramaic. And so they were almost two churches placed in one place because they most likely had two different worship services. They most likely had two different Bible studies. And they were almost never interlocking or, or intertwined with one another. Now, what we see is that there was this food distribution, and the widows for the Hellenist Christians were being neglected. And so what would happen is that there was a complaint that would arise. And this word for complaint in, this, in the Bible, it literally means to grumble or to murmur to one another. Now, here is the point that I'm trying to make. The sin of complaining is dangerous because it can divide the church. And the way it divides the church is by attacking the character of other Christians and attacking the character of God. You see, the reason I'm saying it's dangerous is because we can assume that this, that this complaint was, was pretty innocent at first. There's food being distributed and it's not equally being given out. That, that makes sense. Okay, I, I'll complain about that, right? However, verse 1 says, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. You see, it may have started with a complaint against the situation, but it quickly spiraled into complaining about the people involved. And you see, when a complaint goes against a person, what happens is that it inevitably leads to an attack on their character as well. You see, at its core, complaining is an attempt to hurt the character of another person because you think you aren't getting what you deserve. 
You see, church, we are a generation of complainers. Can I get an amen? Amen. We complain about the weather. We complain about our workload. We complain about our finances. But what happens is that these complaints, they take a human turn. You see, our complaining of work turns into a complaint about that coworker who always seems to get the raise before us. Our complaining about finances turns into a complaint about that couple who always seems to get that better thing, always gets that better house, always gets that better car. Our complaining of the difficulties of marriage turns into a complaint about our spouse who just never listens. And little by little, we chip away at that person's character to the point where they become less than people in our minds. Now, church, I want to ask you a question. Are you a complainer? I want to ask you another question. Within your friend group, are you known as the complainer? Now, I was thinking about this. Maybe it's good that we're not meeting right now because I feel like I would see a lot of shifty eyes going back and forth. And the thing is, the reason I'm saying this is because I would say that an overwhelming majority of us watching would complain at least, at least a few times a day. In fact, I would say that maybe 95% of us have complained at least once this morning. Look, I didn't. I made sure not to because I knew that I was going to preach this sermon today. <laughs> but it is so hard, I know. And it was so hard for me this morning because I had to be so intentional about it. Because guess what? We are a generation of complainers. It is so commonplace for us that we don't realize that the Bible points out the sin of complaining and tells us how dangerous it is again and again. We don't realize how dangerous the sin of complaining is and that God is so angered by it because it's just something so natural for us. Numbers 11.1 1 says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. You see, one of the defining characteristics of the Israelites was that they grumbled and that they complained, and that they grumbled and complained against God. You see, maybe in the beginning they would grumble and they would complain about the situation that they were in, that they didn't have enough water or food, or that, or that they were tired or that they were hot. And yet what it ended up happening was that it would end up attacking and defaming the character of God. You see, they would end up saying, look, God is not a good God if he allows us to go through this type of turmoil. If I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and God isn't providing for me, then that probably, that probably means that God doesn't love me. What that probably means is that God isn't all-powerful. And what happens is that our complaining about the situation ends up becoming complaining about the character of God. And we slowly try to assassinate and tear down and hurt the character of God in our minds and in the minds of other people. This is why God is so angry when the Israelites complain. In Philippians 2.14, Paul commands us, do everything without grumbling. 
Do you hear it? Do you hear that? He commands us, do everything. All things. From the minute you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, from when you are young to when you go old, do everything without complaining. James 5.9 says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. You see, the Bible is so clear about this. Do not complain in any circumstance against anyone or anything. Now, I want to be clear. There is a difference between complaining and loving criticism. There is a difference between complaining and righteous anger towards injustice. The Bible tells us, look, you should seek out and you should speak out against injustice. Yes. However, the Bible says, stop complaining when it's focused around you and yourself. Author Paul Tripp, he said this, the universe wasn't created to serve you. The church wasn't created to serve you. The universe was created to reflect the glory of God so that we can serve our great king. You see, when we complain, what's happening is that we are intentionally putting ourselves in the middle of our lives and we're trying to make everything else revolve around us when that person who should be in the middle of our lives is God. You see, this was the danger that was facing the early church. And through this danger and through this sin, we have our second point, the disciples' decision. Verse 2 says this, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, it's interesting because immediately what we see is that the disciples, they call almost a members meeting, right? They see a problem, they call the members together, and they discuss. It says that all of the believers of the church gathered together to discuss what they were going to do in order to move forward. And the reason they called everyone together was because they were at a crossroads. They didn't know what to do at that moment. They were wondering exactly how, should, how they should proceed. Because they realized that, yes, there needed to be a need that had to be met, that there were people who were facing injustice, that these people, that these widows needed to be fed. However, it would take away from the duty of the disciples to preach and teach the word of God. So what are they supposed to do? Physical needs or spiritual needs? They were at a crossroads. They needed to make a decision. The church, you see, was divided. Emotions were running high. And the believers needed to decide on what to do. And they decided in verse 2 by saying, it is not right that we should give up preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Now, this sounds kind of weird, but don't misunderstand what's being said here. Because what they are saying is that, look, serving tables and meeting physical needs of the church are important. However, serving the people's physical needs should never take priority over fulfilling the spiritual needs of preaching the word of God. That was their main point. Physical needs are important. However, it can never go above the spiritual needs of preaching the word of God and of being gospel-centered when they preach. 
And look, church, the reason I'm trying to really emphasize this is because I have seen this as a danger in many churches today. Because I've seen, very, I've seen many modern churches, especially in very big cities, who are very social justice focused. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing. It's very biblical. They desire to serve the poor. They desire to feed the hungry. They desire to clothe the naked. However, what I've also seen is that many of these churches, even though they are so socially justice focused, they barely ever preach the gospel on the pulpit. They barely ever are willing to confront the hard truths of the Bible. They are barely willing to able to speak about what Jesus says on the Sermon of the Mount because they are scared of what other people are thinking. I rarely hear the word of God spoken at those churches. And instead, it becomes this self-help counseling session instead of a spirit-filled proclamation of the word of God on which it should be centered. This is what we are being warned about in this passage. And so what we see is that the disciples appoint seven servant leaders or deacons who would care for the physical needs of the members while the disciples would focus on the preaching of the word of God. Now, the question is, how did these leaders get selected? Well, in this passage, when we read it, it says that they had two things, that they needed to be full of faith and they needed to have the Holy Spirit. This is the point here. Leaders within the church, leaders within the early church, were not chosen because of their giftedness or because of their abilities or because of their talents. A leader was chosen because their life reflected one that is full of the Spirit. That is a leader in the church. Now, what does this mean? A commentator named Gordon Campbell, he explained it this way. A man full of faith, a man full of the Spirit, is one that is living a normal Christian life. Which is interesting. You see, church, leadership within the church should never be defined by the person who's most charismatic. It should never be defined by the person who seems to have a lot of good ideas. It should never be defined by that person who somehow has that magnetic whatever that people are drawn to. Leadership within the church should be defined as people who are living faithfully for God. And the reason why I want to stay on this point and the reason why I want to really hammer this home a little bit more is because for our ministry, as we move forward into 2021, I see our church being so, I don't know, I, see, I, I really do believe that this year was a year of breakthrough. And that our church, with, where there was a lot of immaturity in some areas, God has really broken through that and has brought us to a very not, I wouldn't say a high level, but has really given us a level of maturity that we've never experienced before. And because of that, what I really want us to know is, look, I want us to identify and raise up leaders within our church. And I want you in particular, you who, is watching, you who are watching right now, to understand that, look, am I a leader? Am I willing to step up and be a leader? Are these characteristics someone that can define me as well? I want you to really think about this yourself. Let me share with you Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. 
Because Paul, he tells us what it means to be a servant leader. Because he defines a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, church, this is a spirit-filled person. In other words, this is, these are the marks of a spiritual leader. Number one, he is an encourager. He speaks to others in psalms and in hymns, and he lifts up and he does not try to break down. Second, he's always thankful. He gives thanks to the Lord in all things and in all circumstances. When you see him, he's always giving thanks. It's almost frustrating to a point. When you see this person, they are giving thanks in all circumstances, even when they don't have that much. And lastly, it says that he is willing to submit to authority. A person who is not ready for leadership within the church is one that is known to discourage and to complain. Someone who is not ready for leadership within the church is one that is rarely ever thankful. And when they're thankful, if something bad happens, immediately they forget how thankful they were. And a a person who is not ready for leadership within the church is someone who cannot submit to authority. But you see, for Shining Star Community Church, for us, we really, in in this next season of our life stage of our church, we want to be intentional with identifying and raising up people who are full of the Spirit so that they can lead others to be closer to Christ. Now, I'm not saying this in order to embarrass you. I'm not saying this in order to scare you. But, man, we believe that God has placed these characteristics in many of you. And the reason why he's placed them in you is in order to meet the needs of the church. And what that's going to do is allow others to focus on the preaching and teaching of the word of God. Now, the last point is that because the disciples focused on the importance of the preaching of the word of God, we see what the results are. We see what the results are. Verse 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You see, because the early church focused upon the gospel-centered preaching of the word of God, everything else followed along naturally. What this means is that the health of a church and that the health of our church will be directly correlated to the health of the preaching of the word of God on the pulpit. This does not mean that we will ever ignore the physical needs For us as a church, our focus, our love, our desire has always been foreign missions. That is where we really want to go out and and reach the lost, yes. But that is never going to go above our priority of preaching and teaching the truth of the word of God. We will forever be cemented as a church that is gospel-centered in our preaching and teaching. And that is what we strive to do at all times. And we believe that when we do it that way, 
that when we focus on the preaching of the word of God on the pulpit, that everything else is going to follow along. That the health of the preaching on the pulpit is going to be directly related and connected to the health of the church. You see, church, don't forget, on, don't forget about what's most important. I think there are so many things that we should fight against and speak for, but at the end of the day, I hope that you remember the grace that Jesus Christ has given you. We spent a long time talking about the sin of complaining and how difficult it can be and how a lot of us, man, it's, it's difficult to stop that. And yet, I want you to look at Jesus Christ. If anyone had a right to complain, it was him. If anyone had a right to grumble, it was him. And yet, on his walk to Calvary, he was silent. And yet, even when he was being whipped and beaten and nailed upon a cross, he was silent. And he did it so that he could die for us. When you are struggling with your faith, when it seems like things are dividing your brothers and sisters, man, I want you to tell them the same call that was given to me. Tell them about the dream. Tell them about the dream. When things are getting hard, when, when things are getting more narrow, when you are starting to lose focus over what's important, my call to you is the same call that was given to me. Tell them about the dream. Focus on Jesus Christ. Focus on his grace. Focus on all that he has done for you. Focus on the word of God above everything else, and everything else will follow naturally. Tell them, tell them, tell them. Tell them the story of the gospel. Tell them what he's done in your life. Tell one another. Amen? Let's pray.